<laughs> We're having technical difficulties. There it is. Okay. <laughs> My name is Jonathan Matos. And this is Melissa Matos. Welcome to Unboxing Story, where we unpack fiction without the friction. You I, have to I change that on the website. That time. Uh, <laughs> on I didn't the, even know you saw page. it. Oh, okay. It's, I, there is technically a website that I made with my website that uh, does have some archived episodes yet. Um, but I did, I, I don't know what slogans up there. Cause I, I, like Melissa said on the last episode, I do, I changed a lot. Um, but it's still uh, unpacking feels about fringe fiction on the anchor page. Okay. <laughs> That's a little bit of behind the scenes, but the, the idea that I kind of expressed in the last live show that we did that at Wizard World of Philadelphia, woohoo. Hey, was that uh, the point of our podcast, in my opinion, uh, something I should I'll rephrase that in sense of it's something that I get from it that I think other people would enjoy about it is that uh, my sister and I have different tastes sometimes, but it's not the end of the world <laughs> <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of literary stuff that I really like. There's a lot of fantasy stuff that she re- really likes. And it's because we've been. Uh, in those echo, echo chambers that we have, like that, that as our like go-to thing. But the more that we share about what we like, the more we realize, oh, there's something here that I like from this story. Here's why I don't like this thing, and then we can kind of suggest things for each other and grow as readers and and viewers and all that stuff. So uh, we hope you enjoy. Uh, today is is kind of a nice syncretic episode for those two uh if you were to talk about them in terms of uh cult that we that we uh i'm trying to i'm really trying to make this metaphor work the uh the 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 worlds that we've lived in are melissa with sci-fi of our fandoms yes (laughs) um arrival uh came out in 2016 we both watched it were you you were there with me right when we saw that that I remember mom responding to it very viscerally. Um, but I wasn't sure if you, if you had saw, seen it in theaters. Um, and so the, that's my first experience with, uh, Denis Villeneuve as, as, as the director of Arrival. Um, and then t- tell us a little bit about your Blade Runner. Oh man. <laughs> uh, uh well, love, love affair. We have an episode on it, so you can go back and yeah, listen CSI to that as well. Cyberpunk. But um, so I read Blade Runner and loved it. I watched the first Blade Runner, Blade Runner movie and wondered if they had read the book. And then they, I heard, they heard they were doing a sequel, and I'm like, I don't know about this because <laughs> I was really mad about the first one. But then that guy read the book, and that guy got it. <laughs> Not only did he get it, he got the movie the first movie, and managed to somehow perfectly blend them into a beautiful thing that captured <laughs> yeah, both of them. he made a very good salad. It was amazing. The two recipes, things that he was good. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stop doing so, metaphors. I am so psyched that he's doing Dune. So psyched. It's going <laughs> to yeah. be awesome. Yeah, because I think I think that there was a kind of uh, journey that I was on from... I'm not going to stop doing metaphors. You can't make... <laughs> um, the journey that I was on from uh, the, I, I was watching a, a, a anime called Erased, where there's very lo-fi sci-fi stuff going on, and so I started getting on this thing about this new trend of like 
movies like um, Ex Machina and and Arrival and stuff being these sci-fi movies that didn't feel like they had to be Star Wars or like that were or, or Annihilation is another good example. Um, and so what what I thought was so epic about Arrival um, was that it kind of had this perspective on how to make drama happen that was very unique to me within the sci-fi um, realm. Um, I have down that I was trying to make this event for it. It didn't. <laughs> how many didn't of those work. do you have? He's got notes here, guys. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's I put problem-based drama, not petty bog-down drama. I was trying to make a bog swamp metaphor. Sure, but it didn't. It didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, what I feel like watching something like Lost, where a lot of the drama came from this um, ensemble cast, mem- like the different characters having these kind of like specific like um kind of petty squabbles with each other and so it's part of what makes that show like human like yeah. that they, that they're they're not fronting that this is some kind of like 24 type television show where everything's melodramatic but at the same time like when you sign up for something and you think see that there's this mystery you kind of want there to be a good blending Right. of the human drama and this more transcendent problem that's going on. And that's to me what Arrival did really good was that you have this very human character that is saddled with this very complex problem and it doesn't shy away from doing this hard sci-fi stuff. But at the same time, the characters are acting like this is real life. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not acting like, like the it, even though, uh, and I, I want to get to some of the stuff with the military, but even though this is ver- a very larger than life situation, it tackles it in a very interesting way. Um, and uh, I think Amy Adams and uh, I was going to call him Kyle Rayner. Talk about sci-fi. <laughs> That's no. a, the Green Lantern yeah. from the nineties. So yeah, it wasn't that. It wasn't like they became part of this elite. Like that that's the type of thing that I think kept me away from shows like Fringe and Whereas 13 was that it was very recognizable to me as this type of sci-fi mm-hmm. where like there's an elite task force and they're like the ghostbusters. Right. Like they're going to take down this this thing. Whereas with this it was just like no, we want to figure this yeah, out. Yeah, like we're the scientists that know how to make this work. Yeah kind of the way the reason i like michael crichton Mm -hmm. also because his are like that too it's not oh this is some elite force that's going to go tackle the big thing that's going to kill the world it's Mm -hmm. like no we have these scientists guys Mm -hmm. and y'all are going to sit in this room till you figure this out Uh (laughs) and it's more about the tension like although uh chang is a lot better i think at like you're right it's it's a blending of yes there are real characters yes they have faults and they're gonna have squabbles with other characters mm. but it is also overlaid with or not overlaid but entwined with the dramatic irony of the big thing that's going on mm-hmm. so he weaves them perfectly together so that they affect those two i don't know tensions uh-huh. affect each other right but are also good on their own yeah because i think that i was used to somebody like bradbury who embeds 
the situation. Yeah, his with, is almost all dramatic irony. Yeah, it's not like, that he doesn't have good characters. Yeah, but it's not about the characters' drama. Right. It's so, about like for the example, irony. the the girl that uh, guy meets is this very archetypal virgin character in Fahrenheit four fifty one. In case you guys aren't as stooped in it as Jonas. But yeah, that it was I. I've, I've kind of mentioned that we did an episode on Fahrenheit 451, that that novel was very formative to me and my idea of what sci-fi should be. And so, like, the the character that Guy meets is this very, like, pure young person who has a very different perspective, and she contrasts her with this, like, harpy of a wife that he has. And so I've I've since seen people be very critical of how Bradbury writes women because he made the main character be able to have this character arc. Whereas these other two characters are kind of like fence posts that the main character just kind of like sees only signs on them and not like an actual three dimensional character. So uh, between that and, and lost, which was a big sci-fi show that I really liked. um, I was used to each character representing some big kind of idea. Having it be more, as if the characters were extensions of the not really allegory, but the but the the big drama. Right. Yeah. Like the, the, this it. is X person with X problem. Right. And even though it's and that's, not that's there to demonstrate the big idea that they are trying yeah, to get across in the book. It, it may not be that like like a comic book, which also was formative to me growing up. Like the, I knew Captain America represented America, like. This is a little bit more complex because it's like there is a, a theme and they actually play with different characters yeah. interacting with that thing. But then Arrival, I think, takes it a step further because I, I was thinking like I, I was used to when I started lo- looking into more adult oriented comics that there was like a slice of life thing. Like in, in Philadelphia, if you go to any independent, it doesn't matter, like independent coffee shop, independent comic book store there there are zines there right. um and so there are people that are trying to you know take their lived in experience and somehow make it like meaningful to the person that's reading it and so some people do like journal comics some people do um things that are like exaggerated versions of their everyday life like they'll write uh you know um like for example um Joe Didion did a, a book called uh, the, the Year of Magical Thinking. And it was kind of this way of saying, like, you know, my husband died. And so there's, every day I wake up and there's all these things that happen to me but physiologically because I'm, you, I was used to waking up next to him and stuff like that. So, like, that's this, this new type of drama that in high school and college I was starting to learn was a thing. And that I wanted sci-fi to be able to interact with the lived-in experience that people had um and this was an interesting thing because arrival i think it obtains the fact that like there are these real big uh the, the movie version at least has like this intense sense of if they don't figure this out there there are going to be real repercussions mm-hmm. but it doesn't turn the my point was going to be with the military people it doesn't turn them into these like cartoonish bad guys right like there is one individual who's listening to like this really uh, bigoted um, news person. Like right. you get the idea that there's this person that's that's 
uh, you know, that is paranoid and, and believes the aliens are there to kill them without any evidence of right. that and is just ready to. And so there's them. like a, a G man that just like, Oh, I'm right. going to go in there and blow them up. But that doesn't become like, okay. So now there's this, uh, you know, government conspiracy or there, there's right. a whole group of people here that are going to take, you know, all the same liberal people out or something like it doesn't get that didactic. It Cause the, it, Cause the story isn't about, it's not about the aliens, mm-hmm. right? The aliens are a great dramatic way to show his point, mm-hmm. but his point is not about the, the big question of this story is, would you have a child? Would you choose to have a child? Mm-hmm. knowing that you are going to lose her, mm-hmm. right? That is the question of this story. Right. And literally it's bookended by this question. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, uh, I have another point. With you. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was going to say that like uh, my nerd brain, when she revealed that was like, spoiler alert, <laughs> but it's but that's it one of the reasons that. why I now have more of this idea of like, if a story can be spoiled, just because you know one thing about it, then I don't feel like that. I think that says something more about this story than it does yeah. your fandom. Really doesn't, or, it doesn't or, spoil the big reveal that's in the story. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing is that like, <laughs> it after, just tells you this is after, really what this, what's going to come up. This is more of a trigger warning. Like, this is, like <laughs> right. this is what this is really about. Right. So I think that that's like when I, when I heard people uh, that there was this like monolithic, reaction to lost it was very strange to me because to me it was about more of the experience of watching the show right as opposed to and oh my word i tied a lot of value and you're in, like but it wasn't about that <laughs> right I, I i put a lot of i imbued a lot of value into the experience of listening to it along with this podcast where there were people you know watching it your uh for the second time and somebody watching it again for the first uh shout out to the um, it feels like the first time podcast and then watching it together. Like it was important to me to share this experience with this sci-fi show that was like game changing to sci-fi to television in general. Um, and also it does a lot of good stuff with like you know, religion and politics. And it had a lot of these ideas that I didn't really see in other sci-fi shows um, and so, like, again, like, I know that this is my sci-fi journey <laughs> and that, like, there are other people that can have their opinion about loss. But when I heard that just that, that people were upset that there wasn't some um, kind of, like, alien-like or Terminator-like big conclusion to the show, I wondered how they could have globbed onto it for a long, as long as, as, long they, as did, they did. Yeah. Because I couldn't identify with that. That's something that confused that... me. Like having watched it now, like it was more than just a, like if you made it to like the last two seasons, mm-hmm. you had to know this was more than just, Oh, this is some weird sci-fi thing going on. That mm-hmm. was going to have some kind of physical explanation. Right. Like it got metaphysical. Right. Yeah. Like before the last season. Yeah. Right. So you, you had, I, I'm surprised that that many people were surprised. And by some, the somebody like, like uh, when I watched it the first time I watched it with our grandmother. And one thing that's interesting about her is that she'll shut off a show 
after the climax of yeah, she just like, if we're watching a procedural like CSI or something like that. Once they catch the bad guy, yeah, she's done. But that what was interesting about that was that she still liked it, even though it was getting into very deep emotional things and, and like it was operating on multiple levels. Yeah, and still kept that person interested. Yeah, and it's like it was just funny to me that she liked that type of thing. Like it proved to me in some ways that it was doing something special that other sci-fi or action shows hadn't done before. I have down here also that this is kind of, to me, like a portal fantasy. Cause I was trying to think of if I could, uh, because one of my evidences for this uh, inane theory is that <laughs> it, it says it drops the looking glass throughout the, Oh, I see that. That's one thing we didn't obliquely mention that their arrival is based on a short story, but Melissa mentioned Ted Chang. Um, and in the short story, it mentions this portal. And so it was, it's interesting because it's not, people usually think of portal fantasy as this, you go into another place. But what I, what, what I'm, what I would make the case for is that looking into their portal changed her right. thinking. Right. And so it's an interesting thing because a lot of the, uh, things that we're seeing with um, something like Stranger Things, um, where there's a lot of that exchange from one world to another, we're starting to see more, I think, interpretations of that, the idea. Um, and uh, Melissa's kind of going through this with what she's writing, where there aren't many established, like, fantasy things for ideas that try to push that envelope. Because, like, I'm trying to help her with a query letter. And so when you look at, like, um, like that the curious girl trope, people think of that, well, it's a little girl going to Right, going through some other world. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, th those types of things are weird kind of, like, I think, like, echo chambers in terms of, like, I would feel restricted by that as a writer if I have to write something about a person going to another world and they all have to act like the Mad Hatter or right. something like that. There's th those types of trope things that I think you're reducing your experience as a writer or a reader to fit into those things. So that's that's just two cents out there is that like I like that there's something like this where it didn't feel like it had to meet certain genre conventions in order to be and, – and it's, it's kind of this mix of uh, introducing metaphysical aspects to a sci-fi story – and it didn't feel like it had to go marry one thing or the other. It didn't have to be super fantastical to be metaphysical. And it didn't have to be super dry and like hitting over the head with right. the linguistic aspect of it in order. Like he certainly knows what he's talking oh, about. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he, he did his homework. Yeah. yeah and and, and I, don't, I don't know anything about how he was educated per se, but it's, it's obvious that he is aware or, or made him at least made himself aware of the types of science that they're discussing within the short story. Um, both with the physics that Gary brings up in the short story and the, the linguistics, the linguistics uh, stuff. And that, I, I like that you compared it to the looking glass. Cause it is very much that I, that thing that she is looking into another world mm -hmm. and her study of that other world changes her mm -hmm. much in the way Alice, you know, kind of grows up through 
her experiences it through the looking glass, mm-hmm. but it, it's, she's not a child, right? It's right. a different kind of growth, Yeah. but it's still that kind of thing of like, I am going to change because I have this crazy experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, it's interesting. She gets to be this competent adult and also have the potential for growth. Right. So it's, it's something that I've mentioned on Twitter because there's a very avid um, uh, Wattpad writer who then got published who uh, is advocating for new adult as a, as a recognized avenue of publishing. And it's something that in watching people discuss publishing and, and how YA is this new like beast that's kind of devouring a lot of the marketplace Um She's trying to show that, like, no, like, you can have an adult be somebody that can grow. Because, yeah. I, I, I mean, I not, it's not that she was necessarily making that specific. She didn't say that specifically. But I was kind of saying that, like, you know, I feel like people should grow in their, you know, political beliefs and that you should be able to discuss religion, like, at, like an Without adult like, with some maturity. Yes. Uh, and so that... And even just even just coming to terms with stuff that you hadn't thought about before. So like we said, the story is about her choice to have a child. Mm-hmm. She hadn't been thinking about having children at right. the beginning of that story, or right. at least chronologically, because other spoiler, if you don't know, this is a time travel story, mm-hmm. sort of time. <laughs> there, there, It involves time shifting. Yes. <laughs> of some, I can't explain Very it because I don't do physics. I think you did a good job. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, coming to terms with something that you have not yet had to face in your life. You have to do that as an adult Mm -hmm. and you need to learn that at sometimes it's going to make your life fall apart or Mm -hmm. sometimes you can be, okay, I can handle this. How am I going to handle this? But it still involves growth. Right. Um, So I think that we're, as far as I'm concerned, I don't have anything else to say about it. And I'm, I'm noticing that we didn't really, you know, when we started this podcast, I was very didactic about, doing the plot I don't want to give up the plot. But that's what I'm saying, (laughs) is that to to fight that instinct, I'm always now more about, like, talking about how it makes me feel. The story is not told very linearly, so it would be very difficult to to bring up the plot. Suffice to say, you should read the short story. Yes. And we're going to, in the second part of this, talk about uh, more of Ted Chiang's short stories that we've read um, and basically do a whole, like... We love you. Ad read. We love you. We love you. <laughs> um, and, Ted but, Chang. And, but you demand. Denis Villeneuve's movie, his adaptation of it is very good. Um, and the meat and potatoes of what he extracted to get to that place yes. is also very good. So um, it, it's collected in this, the collection, stories of your life and others. Um, but, and the story is not called Arrival. It is called story, the story of your life. Yeah. Um, so if you want to pick that up, you can... Okay, now I'm really doing an ad read. Anyway, (laughs) we'll be back after the break to talk about uh, more of his stuff. So the next story we would like to bring up by our awesome, awesome new favorite. Our our awesome new kind of like. uh, Crush, writer crush. (laughs) Ted Chang is uh, the merchant and the alchemist gate. Um, I happened to run into this because it was one of the stories on LeVar Burton Reads, which if you ever watched Reading Rainbow as a child, you need to listen to this podcast because having LeVar Burton read stories to you again is just the best thing ever. (laughs) Um, So in The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate, 
Um, it's it's so beautiful. I don't even know. I have never met anybody that I love reading time travel before, and this is just the best version of time travel I have ever seen. Mm. Um, it's actually set in ancient Arabia, and it is being told to you as if so. You're, you're hearing this merchant tell this story to the local caliph, and he you know, goes through the whole big thing at the beginning about a worshipful caliph, I need to tell you this thing, and, you know, he goes the whole mm. spiel, and then he's like, let me tell you what happened, I met this alchemist, and then he goes into the story about the alchemist. The alchemist then actually goes and tells him several stories about this time travel device that he has created. Mm -hmm. um, they do a really, he does an amazing job of, of describing this device and what it does. Um, and even though he doesn't go into like how he made it, it's alchemy, right? So like mm -hmm. the guy at the merchant's not going to understand alchemy. He's like, uh... and at first he's all like, "You're an alchemist." Like he, uh, he's he's actually so he goes into the guy's shop, the alchemist shop, mm -hmm. and there's all bunch of cool scientific stuff in there. There's like astrolabes, which are my favorite thing ever, and um, I forget what the, some of the other stuff is, but it's all this really you know very clearly hard scientific things that he knows and understands really well, mm -hmm. which ancient Arabia knew very well because they didn't lose all of the classical knowledge that Europe did when mm -hmm. Rome fell. So then he goes into the back and he's telling him that he's an alchemist and that he's created this device. And at first he thinks he's doing tricks, right? Mm -hmm. That he's trying to fool him. He's like, do you really believe in alchemy? Like, what are you doing? And he, you turn lead into gold. And he's like, well, you can turn lead into gold, but it takes more work than it does to go dig gold out of the ground. So nobody does it. <laughs> Just like, what? <laughs> but anyway, um, through the stories that he tells him and then through the man's own experience using this time device, mm -hmm. it actually comes back to a similar point of arrival where it's like, would you do certain things if you knew the future? Mm -hmm. And the conclusion that happens through those stories and through the alchemist's, ex the merchant's experience is, I don't know, it's just this beautiful answer. Mm. And I don't, ex don't expect me to try and explain it well because <laughs> I can't, but it's the idea of, so yes, they knew what their future was, but they, they still made the choices that they would have made anyway. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they had chances to f change things, mm -hmm. but, but they didn't because mm -hmm. they, they came to this realization that this is who I am mm -hmm. and I was going to do these things. And so if I just do these things, then I don't know. It's, I can't, <laughs> it's a very roundabout. Well, I can't it, say it, it. What it brings to my mind that you, that you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about is that, it seems like there's this big bent towards grim, dark sci-fi. Yeah. In order to criticize some things, like in the Blade Runner movie, criticizing like like consumerism and different things and um, things that are are ripe for yeah, that should criticizing. be criticizing. That's part of what speculative fiction but, does. Right? But at the same time, there's this kind of magisterial um, thing that some of these authors have done to. It, it it almost seems like a, like pharisaical to me, uh, because I've I've been knee deep in in John Piper videos. He's a theologian and and pastor, and uh, it it what struck me about him talking about uh, this kind of attitude 
uh, is that like there's a lot of things in our society that we do that are looked at as like elevate the person doing them. And um, one of those things is like, excuse me, like he, he was talking specifically about uh, money. But um, I, in some one of the short stories I wrote, I wrote a specific thing about a, a man who uh, would rather be entombed in a pyramid because at least then he would belong somewhere. And kind of my meaning for that metaphor was to be like, there are some people that are so up their own butts <laughs> that they don't see where joy really comes from. Right. Right. And so part of that lane as an, as an author looking to make things that are half intelligent to read um, and, and glean some ideas from, I can see that it's very much a temptation to accept praise for very minimal effort criticism of other people. Um, and so like reading some of this stuff is torture <laughs> because it's very obvious that they have uh, a, a like an extra grind. Yeah. And that there's a lot of um, like uh, posturing about certain stances as if they're revolutionary and that, and I think it, it gets exacerbated by an author whose attitude is that they're special for having right. made whatever stance or, or made and, whatever And case. I think what makes Ted Chang stand out and other authors, I think that we would gravitate more towards mm -hmm. rather than just saying, I'm going to pick X social thing and beat up on it. Mm -hmm. You can do that mm -hmm. because it's not as though Ted Chang shies away from. Yeah. Like, like we've talked endlessly about how Jordan Peele is so good about right. discussing racism. Right. And it's like racism is deadly. Yes. And you you can't watch one of his things without seeing how deadly and how malevolent right. someone who is racist is. Right. At the same time, he has characters that combat it, that are flawed, right. that have... And that's the thing you need. You need a character that is dealing with a personal human issue, mm -hmm. right? Something that is universal. Right. Because even in something like Get Out, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, he's dealing with racism, but he's also dealing with things that everybody can understand. Yeah, grief. Right? Grief is a big one, mm -hmm. or betrayal, or, mm -hmm. you know, fear. Right. That is a basic human feeling. Right. And you are still dealing with stuff that anybody can feel internally. Mm -hmm. And what Ted Chang does, I think, amazingly well, is even in this time travel story, he is dealing with someone who has a very deep personal pain mm -hmm. that anyone can understand. And he's showing you how he overcomes that mm -hmm. through this experience. Like it's, so it's growth, right? How right. do you grow when faced with this crazy thing? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So uh, y'all should read it. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you think that the, the nerd train is over, <laughs> we have one more for we're you. We're just getting it out of the station. Um, so uh, I, I got the collection. This is a shout out to my brother-in-law, Derek, and uh, sister Sarah. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know which one of them saw this on the bookshelf. I think it was Derek. Their names were on the yes. thing. So I'm going to credit both of them. Um, the, they got me this for Christmas. And they specifically said that it should be for both of them. I don't know if either of them read it. I'm going to ask Derek them now. Did. Yeah, because okay. Derek loves it. That's yeah. why he gave it to us. Yeah. 
Uh, and so I can somewhat see that in the sense that like, there's a lot of this stuff that deals with um, religion as well. Mm -hmm. There's uh, two short stories, 72 letters and tower of Babylon. Um, tower of Babylon is interesting because um, as you mentioned that there, there being uh, in, in the merchant now to escape this kind of like uh, you like, he enjoys showing different cultures, do, showing different um like his short stories don't feel all the same right so like in the tower of babylon i was thinking it would it might be his take on the tower of babel story like he has something to say about this right because like i said I, i've been used to that as right. like somebody has a, a main allegorical point like, to make like pendulum that they're swinging from um <laughs> so like uh what i thought was interesting that it was this scientific idea of what what is it what would it actually be like to try to pierce the veil of heaven <laughs> and so like it's his idea of like mechanically how this would work so you very viscerally get the feeling of being on a tower that is that high oh cool and this and, and obviously like there are some of those magical realism elements of you know something like the bible does it get into that type of detail about you know what that felt like yeah. so it, it's viscerally doing that stuff but the whole while if you are somebody who excuse me believes in the biblical account you're wondering like i was what's this guy gonna say about this story uh and it, and it turns out just to be about this uh mathematical principle and this idea of um like what what this kind of hubris really is like and it tackles it in such a way where uh, like we've been saying, there's this very human element to it. It's not, there's not like a bad guy in the story that's like, I am the person, that, the architect of this thing. And he pushes him off. Like, no, <laughs> like I, I half expected that to be something that happens because I'm used to there being some kind of malevolent figure that pops up as like the problem. But the problem is just the problem of building the tower. Um, and in much the same way, 72 letters is, uh, this idea of uh, it's a character who has the capability of creating golems by writing the, the, a name. And so there's this idea of this name writing being powerful and being almost like a technological shift. And so there's a new industry of making golems and golems that can do different things for different people. And so it's, it stems from a very specific lore belief, but it doesn't, feel married to him making a commentary on Jews or something right, like right. it's not, it's not that base of a thing. Like he's showing like how this affects the economy and, um, but it's tied to this character who very much feels personal about this thing. Cause he is the person that first invented it. And so you get this idea of this person who's uh, very intelligent, but also is dealing with something not necessarily in his control uh, through that story. And I think my favorite one uh, was a, a story by, division by zero that actually has no kind of like classical sci-fi suspense element to it. It's just the idea of this mathematician who discovers um, a, a mathematical principle that I could not explain on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, it has something to do with this uh, division by zero principle that she comes up with is kind of a metaphor for depression. And so she 
comes up with something that is so demoralizing to her on some level. And the whole uh, tension that comes through the story is that the person who loves her can't try to understand that theorem because it there it's playing with the idea of empathy versus sympathy. Right. And can you really try to understand how someone is thinking that is being attacked with some kind of mental yeah, that you can, illness? Yeah. Um, that you can, and that you haven't experienced yourself. Right. And so that I think that's one of the like that just that ability to tackle something like that without making it seem like you know, one of the characters is being, you know, the the, the um, villain or the yeah. Because I think like there's things like um maybe like Patch Adams where they show like a mentally ill character and like they're not really a fully fleshed out character. They're just there to be a plot point. And so I I would imagine that something like that would be very like uh hurtful to somebody that has a mental illness. So I think this does a good job of making this a thing that doesn't really have a quote-unquote answer, but you get what it's kind of talking about. And and having the side point, five point, rather than making it more of a um, struggle to identify, it actually makes it more universal. That, mm-hmm. like, you, it, you've had moments like this where you can't understand what somebody's going through. And even though it's from that person's perspective who's outside of that problem... Um, it also does some work to describe how this person who is being um, attacked by this thing almost like it's it's like something outside of her control, like she's being wrecked by this conclusion. And it, it even shows like she sees different patterns and things like that. Uh, again, I, I'm floundering because yeah, no, th- this, if, if there's one thing that I would say is distracting about something like this, is that rather than it being something where the author is seems like that's one thing that that growing up turned me off from sci-fi is that there's things that sometimes the author finds interesting that they have not uh, uh, done the work to make me the casual reader involved in it somehow and so it's always something that i i feign to criticize too hard because sometimes i'm just stupid and like <laughs> Like, if I'm watching something that is very intelligent, it would be kind of arrogant of me to be like, I'm above this because I'm, I love Star Wars and Star Wars is real fantasy <laughs> or real sci You know, that's what it, I think that makes, that limits me. Because if I'm not willing to feel a little stupid reading some stuff, it's going to make it yeah, harder for me to find really one, good. You're probably not supposed to understand it. Right. In that but way. So, kind of he, point. so I think he does a good job of describing it in the, to the way where you can understand it, even if you don't have a degree in mathematics, you know? Um, and so that's, it might be still something that turns people off. They're like, they get to page three and they're still scratching their heads. Yeah, like, like <laughs> so that they have a bald spot. Um, <laughs> but it's something that I can say as a casual sci-fi fan, it was still something that I really enjoyed reading um, multiples of his short stories that uh, you can really get kind of the message of it and some of the drama from it. Uh, and it, it's, it's exciting to delve into like that. I think that's one of the things that like um, it brought me back to that childlike wonder of reading something like Shakespeare, where I don't know all of the linguistic 
hurdles that this right. guy is jumping through. But you know it's beautiful. And but I know, yeah, that it's working on a level that makes me want to do some of the work to yeah. understand it, yeah. as opposed to just wanting to throw it out the window. Um, so if that's not enough to get you to read this guy. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, also, it's nice to find a sci-fi writer that's not a nihilist. Because <laughs> I was getting kind of over that. Like, I can understand if that's your worldview and you think the world is hopeless because sometimes uh, it feels like that and you want to write a story I mean, that kind of goes into what we're talking about in terms of, like, there are authors that have burdens that we will never know. Right. Right. And that's true. And so that's the type of thing that, yeah. like, I think gives me pause um, to make it as if that author is the enemy because I want to just talk about what they've done. I right. want to be part of that conversation. But it's gotten to the point now where things like uh, Game of Thrones and um, Annihilation are the norm. Yeah. And I don't feel like I can be a part of the conversation because my first instinct is to be like, can somebody in this thing be like a comic relief? Like anybody? Or not like, think that the world is ending tomorrow? Yeah. Like it's gotten to that point. So it, or it's at least something... be okay with the world ending tomorrow? <laughs> Like that's not the worst thing. Well, that, that's basically what annihilation is. I would I would argue. Well, this is true. <laughs> but no, but it, I mean like having hope beyond the end of the world. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I can't mean. say that. <laughs> um so yeah, so uh, it's a breath of fresh air to find someone that is uh able to bring drama out of something, but not that kind of uh be it something like lost that's very melodramatic or something like annihilation that's very nihilistic. He he is able to show characters that might have different world views that have different um i even struggles. think he writes women insanely well which is usually one of my criticisms about science fiction writers <laughs> it's not unfounded is that they don't write female characters very well this guy's got it down yeah i would say that he's he's, he's good at having different narrative voices yeah, and making you believe those narrative voices are somebody different mm -hmm. yeah, right and yeah it's not just him uh putting a voice on yeah <laughs> Uh, so what did you think of Arrival, whether you read the story of your life, short story, or watched the film? Uh, let us know in an email. You can write us at unboxingstorypodcast at gmail.com or at unboxingstory at, uh, at, at, it's our at on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> you can also, if you have the Anchor app or can find us on anchor.fm slash unboxingstory, you can, uh, Record a message and send it to us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something that I've been meaning to talk about because I saw that and I was like, well, that's a fun thing. Yeah, so it would be cool to hear voicemail something from, from you guys. Um, you can read my stuff at montos.com and get back episodes there. Uh, John is on. Do you have a website up yet? Uh, that's another pet project of mine. Ah, okay. <laughs> He's working on it. Yeah, well, up where it's uh, the unboxingstory.johnmatoswriter.com. And johnmatoswriter.com proper are both uh, projects that I'm kind of chipping away at. Um, but it's been fun to kind of uh, get more serious about, excuse me, the web presence um, because uh, like there's just a lot of those creatively satisfying elements of that when you it can click something and it, works. it actually changes the color. <laughs> you didn't understand why I was so happy when I found the WordPress template that I did that actually did what you wanted it to do. I, I, like, I think... Yes, I might have been a little. <laughs> uh, um, so you can look 
that up. There are some episodes up there, but anchor.fm slash unboxing dash story. And we're on iTunes and Spotify and other places that yeah. I don't remember. So if you want to, <laughs> if you've been listening to us in your uh, desktop view, you can, you can graduate maybe to some things on the phone. Uh, we've been unboxing story. I, I feel like I'm, I'm ending a, a commencement speech now. Um, <laughs> You can you can go home and take off your because uh, I remember the gowns were real. Now I'm getting into slice of life drama myself. Yes. yes. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye.